So, yes, excited for today's message. It's uh, interesting. When Mark first asked me to preach, I was like, yeah, let's do it. That's, it's going to be awesome. Such a good weekend for me. And now it's like the weekend just turned into chaos. And I remember thinking all during the week as I was like praying and seeking God into this, I was like, I'm going to be so organized. This is going to be incredible. I'm going to have notes, which I thankfully do. But as I was running out the door this morning, I forgot to print them. So I had to like run back in and print them. So I'm here and I'm excited regardless of what this weekend's turned into. And the title of my message today is What is God's Endgame? So what is God's Endgame? I think with the theme of missions this month, it's really important to just kind of stop for a moment and think, where's this all going? Where's this all heading? Like every day we wake up to like news of, you know, like we've had the pandemic the last three years, there's wars, there's like global warming threats, there's all these things about the environment, catastrophes, earthquakes, you know, the tragedy with the submarine, with migrants who are lost at sea. There's so many just things constantly bombarding us. And now with ChatGPT and AI, you know, like there's a lot of talk going around on the trajectory that we're on and the, and the acceleration of things. And where's this all gonna end up? Now I have a lot of friends who are in their uh, 20s and 30s. And so I've talked to a few different people in the last couple of weeks and I'm getting a lot of different opinions on AI. And you know, it's quite scary with some of the things that are coming up. And I think to myself, okay, where's God in all of this? Like, what's God's end game? Like, I know there's some serious concerns for the world right now, and I'm not diluting that, I'm not dismissing that, but every generation has had their threats. You know, every generation's had their concerns, and God is a God of generations, a God who wants to encounter each generation. But God has, he's not left us alone to go into the unknown. And I think that's a really interesting point to make today. It's just like, we're not heading into the unknown. Like, there are a lot of unknowns right now in our day-to-day life, but God has made certain things known to us that's going to give us confidence. So I have a little three-year-old niece. I have two nieces. They're both the best thing that's ever happened to me. I love being an auntie. And my little three-year-old niece, she's just discovered singing. So if you have a three-year-old in your life, you know that the singing has got that cute little kind of tone that's not quite on key. But she's quite stoked with herself. And the other day I was in the lounge room and she came into the lounging where I was sitting on the couch quite slowly and quite dramatically and completely fixed on me, singing Into the Unknown by Disney's Frozen. And it was like, I couldn't quite grasp what song it was because it wasn't completely accurate, but I picked up on the key eventually. And it was like this look in her eye, I'm like, what do you think? Like, hey? And I was like, wow, what a performance. And it's like, Into the Unknown. It's like completely going down this track. And we watched this movie which I think every little girl is obsessed with. And you know, it's about this main character who's going into the unknown and she has to face all these fears and she has to go out and she doesn't know what's happening. And and, uh, I was thinking about that and I was thinking it's a lot like us today, like there's a lot of unknowns. I personally feel like taking this new job this year, there was a lot of unknowns. There wasn't really a job description. There wasn't, you know, it's a new thing that they're rolling out. I didn't really know what my day to day was gonna look like. I moved house last year. I didn't really know where I was going to move another unknown. There's so many unknowns that we face every day and it's easy to be intimidated, to shrink back, or even to allow what we hear and what we see to make us want to run away. But God has actually got an end game and that's what I'm going to talk about today. So we have been prepared and equipped to navigate times just like these. Think about that for a moment. We've been prepared and equipped. We've got an anchor for our souls. There's things, there's threats, and there's things that are happening around us, and sometimes there's things happening within us. 
but God's not intimidated by any of that. And God wants to reassure us today. So Jesus said in John 14, verse 1, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. Hang on, what? Um, God and Jesus, like God, like, what's he saying there? Trust in God and trust also in me. And I think what the Lord's getting across here is that, you know, we trust in God. We, made, we trust that God made the earth and God is good. And we trust in all these big things. But what makes it personal is trusting in what God's doing in my life in the here and now. Jesus, fully present, a friend to the disciples, but also the king, was saying, do you trust in what I'm doing? And what a thing to say as he's about to go to the cross. It's like, trust me. It's going to be fine, and then I'm about to die in front of you, and you're going to be terrified, and, and things are going to go down not the way you expected. But Jesus was inviting them to trust him, and he's somebody that we know can be trusted. So when it comes to our trust in God, it comes to us knowing how he sees things. It comes in us knowing his character and nature. It comes in us knowing that he's with us. It comes in us knowing where is God in all of this. So what is God's end game? I'm going to make it really easy for you and give the answer straight away, and then we're going to unpack it. So his end game is still his dream from the very beginning. Sin did not change who God is, and it doesn't change his purpose for humanity. Have you thought about that? Like God created us for a purpose. We live in a world, for sure, we live in a world that has fallen short of God's dream for humanity. Can we admit that? But that doesn't change God's dream. We have a world that has decided starting with the garden, to define good and evil for themselves. And all that's done is proven, um, it's proven that we are really terrible at it. You know, we're really terrible at it. I mean, you have a world of people all wanting peace, all wanting to live a good life, all wanting these things, and we still can't achieve it. I read the book of Judges. You know, I don't read it often, but I had a little flick through there the other day, and I remember just thinking, what a disappointing book. It's like one leader after another leader after another leader failing. And I was talking to my friend about it, and I was like, even Gideon, you know, Gideon who, I love Gideon, and he builds an idol of himself in the book of Judges, and you're just like, really, Gideon? Like, what's that about? Did you not see what God did for you? I mean, it was 300 men, it wasn't you. And it's like, that's what happens. And my friend and I were chatting and he said, but that's exactly the point, Sarah. It's supposed to reveal that we need a leader like Jesus. We need Jesus. And so God's dream is relationship and not just a, hey, we're friends, let's hang out. Like God's dream for relationship is a family and everyone's invited to that. And it isn't just like, so we can be in this family and we can just have a good life and we're protected and there's like all the bad stuff happens outside the family. We're living in the tension of the first and second coming of Jesus. We're living in a world where God's will isn't completely made perfect. But we get to align ourselves with God's will. We get to bring heaven here on earth. And we get to be God's ambassadors. And I really feel a bit challenged sometimes by just how good it is to be in the family of God and how I can forget what a privilege that is. I often tell my students when I'm training them, I was like, we cannot afford to be Mary Antoinette Christians. <laughs> Now leave that for a moment. Mary Antoinette Christians, you know, Mary, the Queen of France, living in privilege. I've been to her palace. I got to walk around her gardens. I got to see the life that she lived. She never left the palace. She lived in that bubble. People came to her, but she never went out. She never walked the streets. She didn't see what life was like for the common French person. You know, they were starving. They were hungry. They were um, 
stuck in this situation that they couldn't change, and she was eventually held responsible for that. And when I looked into that story a little bit more, and I've studied it a bit, she was actually a lovely person. She was a really lovely person, loved her family, loved her friends, was known to be very kind. But she was just so self-centered, she didn't have the perspective of what her responsibility was to the world outside of her four walls. And it's challenging for me to think about that because I think, have I put myself in a, in a position where I don't look outside my window? I don't look at what's next door. I don't involve myself in things that are uncomfortable because, you know, I've been saved from all that. And I'm not saying we need to go out and go back into our old lifestyles, but it, there's a sense of God's given us a gift. We have a treasure, as Mark spoke about. We have an answer. We have a peace. We have something that the world is looking for. And we've really got to get fresh conviction on that. Because it's true, like God's actually given us an anchor. So the scripture verse we're going to look at, and this is the answer, this is God's end game, is Revelations 21 verse 3 to 5. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are going to be gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. Wow, like that is amazing. I was um, once visiting, every week I get to visit my Syrian family. And one week when I went to visit them, they had some terrible news that um, the father of the family, his brother was killed. Um, on the border of Turkey and Syria, just going to get a glass of water and just shot. And they were mourning that, and it was quite a difficult situation for them to have to grieve, knowing they hadn't seen him for five years, and knowing how he had died. And so the house was filled with other families who had come to pay their condolences and to sit with the grieving family. And so I'd come over on my usual visit, and suddenly I'm in amongst this room of like 30 people. And they're talking, and there's crying, and there's chatter, and I'm sitting there just trying to be as culturally respectful as possible. When suddenly, Fatima, one of the women who was in the room, she throws this question to me in English, and she's interpreting for the group. She says, Sarah, can you tell us what your heaven is like? And I'm like, hmm? <laughs> and I took this deep breath, and I remember just speaking out. It was like the Spirit of God just rose up inside of me, and I just said to her exactly what's in this verse. I said, you know what? In heaven... The Bible tells us that there is going to be French, American, German, Australian, Syrian, Iranian, all different cultures. But there's going to be no more goodbyes, no more death. Because Jesus is going to wipe away every tear and teach us how to live. And the room just went really quiet as she interpreted that. And people looked at me. And one of them was like, do you believe that? And I said, I do. I believe that because Jesus has also come and proven that to us. And it opened up this whole conversation of just the hope that we have, the anticipation that no matter how dark things get, we have an end game that's filled with life. We have an end game that's filled with the, with the fulfillment of hope, that we have hope in the present age and in the age to come. That Psalm 27 says we're going to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. It's not just treasures in heaven. God actually wants to come and be with us. And one day that's going to be fully where we'll actually physically see God face to face. But we know now that Jesus has come and he's sent us the Holy Spirit. And his Holy Spirit comes and is with us and advocates with us and comforts us. 
So God's plan of salvation includes redemption. God actually is doing a redemptive work. His master plan of redemption is already at work in this life and will be fully made known to us in the next. Here's the other scripture verse. I'm not going to put it on the screen, but here's the other one I want to emphasize here on our month of missions. Revelation 7, verse 9 to 10. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What a beautiful depiction of every nation with one purpose, with one vision of Jesus, living in peace. Like the beauty of God's heart expressed fully in his dream for humanity and it's going to happen. The fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant where God called him out of his tent and told him to look at the stars and said, one day you're going to not be able to count these stars is going to be your, your generations to come. And that's the fulfillment of Abraham's stars before the throne room, every tribe and tongue. God's ultimate purpose in redemption history is to create a people from every tribe and nation to dwell in his presence, glorifying him through their lives and in relationship forever. Our hearts, our hearts long for this kind of world. You know, to be together, to be in right relationship, no misunderstandings, no jealousy, no feeling left out, no feeling like something's wrong with you or you don't belong. There's something about humanity that loves to be together, loves to have that sense of joy and celebration. I live in the city. The Cambridge had their closing down festival this weekend. I felt like I was there because I could hear it. <laughs> and it, the party just kept getting louder and louder. And when I woke up this morning and looked at the paper, the news um, had reported one of the guys quoting as, quoted as saying, it was not a funeral, it was a wake. And I was like, well, I was awake because I could hear it. <laughs> so it's like, you know, there's something about just gathering together. And, and that's what helps us handle this, you know, change and the sad news. That's what actually helped these people. And I thought about it. And I was like, this is a piece of heaven in the sense that we desire to come together. We desire to be with others. We desire to celebrate. And that's what God's put in our heart because that's the fulfillment of what God wants to do. One day, one day, God's domain and our domain is going to come together. The invisible reality that we can't see, that's more real than what we have right now because it's eternal, is going to be fully known to us. But we have the opportunity in this limited time on earth to live by faith, which means that we take God at his word and we stand in agreement with God. And that's like, you know, Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus demonstrates that faith in the flesh to us so that we can actually walk it out. It's not just promises and it's not just information it's like god has come and dwelt among us and lived and shown us how to live so we are just in this exciting period of life really this exciting chapter in history where we are stewarding our time here on earth and i want to just emphasize that so much today because that's the missional heart of god god wants to grow his family god wants to invite others into this family god's heart is for relationship and you can't talk about god's end game without talking about his heart God wants us to know his heart. He wants us to have his heart. He wants us to see things from his perspective. God's heart is for relationship. And that's why God hates sin. It's not because he's like angry at us. He hates sin because sin leads to death. And he's actually created you for life and life to the full. He's created you for freedom, freedom to love like he loves. So in Genesis 1, 
In the beginning, we're introduced to a God who is present, a God who speaks and things happen, a God who desires to create and his words have creative power, a God who creates mankind not because he's lonely, but for relationship. God is love and love is generous. I think we get confused in our today's culture and think that love is God, but no, God is love. And his agape love is not self-seeking. His agape love gives. It's because God loved that he gave Jesus. So, Genesis 1 verse 26, we hear the Trinity say, Let us make mankind in our own image. Let us make mankind in our own image. The image means, not just physically, it means God's likeness with his character. So having God's image is about being able to represent him here on earth. You know, his thoughts, his intellect, the way he creates we're called to do that. Now, Jesus demonstrated that in his, on his time on earth. He did not fail to love God and others. You know, he did not. He demonstrated to us a new way to be human. Could you imagine what it would have been like for Satan to come and tempt Jesus and fail? Like all throughout generations, history, Satan had successfully tempted every human, and yet he was one who resisted him. And now we read in the Bible that we're just instructed to resist the enemy and he'll flee from us. That's the victory and the power that we have. So as we kind of bring this home, I want to bring up three points here. And it is just a simple way of, to really grasp God's end game. I want to put these three things up if that's okay here. So here it is. Jesus is king. Jesus is king. God has a master plan. He has a redemptive plan. And we are his co-workers. And as I just like highlight a couple of these things, I want to show a video at the end. And I was thinking, you know, this video, it's a little bit of a Sunday night video, not so much a Sunday morning video. So if you haven't had your coffee, this will help. But for now, we're just going to intro it a little bit because I feel like when I watch this video, the imagery and the depiction of what it's showing is just gets my spirit so excited because it's exciting to be a follower of Jesus. Yes, we've got opposition. Yes, we've got challenges. Yes, it's even becoming unpopular. But we thrive in times like this. We thrive. When things get darker, we shine. We've got the light. We've got the light like the city on a hill. And so as I talk about this a little bit, I'm going to say, you know, Jesus is king. It's not just the Kanye West song. Jesus is king. He's sitting on a throne. And I love that verse that we looked into where it says, and the one sitting on the throne said, I am making all things new. He's seated on the throne. He's defeated death. He resisted temptation. He intercedes for us. He has demonstrated a new way to be human. I was reading, when I was preparing about this, I was reading about in Revelation 4 how the kings, they come before the throne and they cast their crowns in Revelation 4. And I thought about that. It's like, you don't hear Jesus saying, hey, I'm here, so can you just put your crowns down at my feet? No, it's the response. It's the response of kings who see someone so worthy, a leader who has not failed, a leader who has got the, the purest of intent. And their response is just to throw their crowns at his feet. I just think what a remarkable imagery of just God's worthiness. That one day, that's what we're going to witness. Crowns being thrown at his feet because they acknowledge the worthiness of Jesus' rule and reign. I'm looking forward to seeing them. So Revelations 1 verse 5. We're doing a lot of Revelation today, which is quite hilarious to me because... When I was eight, my parents bought me a children's Bible. had a lot of pictures in it. I read it all. And when I got to Revelation, I was terrified because it was dragons and there was a dragon trying to attack the baby and there was all these like 
things that were just way beyond my head. And I now have this little joke with my dad that he would, my dad loves the book of Revelation and he talks about it a lot. And I will be like, not interested, dad. I don't really like that book. And uh, he's like, why? And I told him the story. So for my birthday card last year, he put a scripture verse in and he wrote from the book of dragons. <laughs> and I was like, what is that talking about? He hasn't watched Dungeons and Dragons. What's happening? And I realized it's the book of Revelation. So, Dad, if you're watching, I'm preaching on it now. That's how far we've come. So, Revelation 1 verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. Jesus has shown us resurrection power, that we are going to be resurrected, that death is temporary for us. And that we grieve, but we don't grieve without hope of being reunited with our loved ones who follow Jesus. And so we're inviting everyone into that reality. Through salvation, we've now become the new creation. And God has that redemptive plan. So I'm not going to go too far into the redemptive plan other than saying that the gospel is good news. Yeah. Let's not reduce the gospel to just sin and salvation. It's like reducing... If I was to go out for a meal tonight, at a, I really miss buffets. I know COVID kind of cancelled them all, but I'm still grieving. So I don't know if anyone else noticed that, but we had a great buffet in Mayfield, four and a half stars. You had French macaroons at the dessert bar, say no more. So if I was to go to my favorite buffet tonight, if it was open, and you saw me tomorrow, and you asked me, how was the buffet? Could you imagine how ridiculous it would be if I was to say this to you? Oh yeah, I came to the buffet and I needed to wash my hands. So I went to the bathroom and it had pink soap and a nice basin and I washed my hands and didn't have any paper towel. So I started drying my hands. Are you lost? Because you should be. Like, I'd be like, what? I'm asking about the meal. I'm asking about how the food was. And that's what we can do with the gospel. We make it all about sin. Where sin is a part of the gospel, but it's Jesus came to dealt with it, to deal with it, sorry, so that we could enjoy the fullness of what the gospel is, which is relationship with God. So it's a part of the story, but it's not the main thing. The main thing is God's dream for humanity. The main thing is that God wants to come and have relationship with us, and he wants to empower us with his spirit to be his co-workers, to be part of his redemptive plan on the earth. I know Generation Z, I get to work with them a lot, and especially Gen Alpha, our little year seven and under, they want to change the world. They're not happy with a lot of things that are happening. They're the generation that pushed the ethical movement. They're the generation that's calling out a lot of the pop icons that my generation worshipped. There's something deep in this generation that wants to change the world. I think God's imprinted them with that. But there is only one way that that's going to happen. It's through Jesus. It's through Jesus. You cannot change a human heart unless Jesus does. And I know that I've said this before if you've heard me preach on the gospel, but... You know, the good news of the gospel is that God is changing the world one heart at a time. And the law might manage behavior, and we need the law. We have a place for the law in society. But the law might stop a man from beating his wife on the street, but the gospel will change a man from beating his wife in the home. Because the law manages behavior, but the gospel transforms hearts. And we're invited into that movement. And that's what I get excited to see, is that God actually wants to change the world one heart at a time. So as I wrap this up, we are his co-workers. We are God's fellow workers. 1 Corinthians 3, 9. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So we're stewarding our time here on earth. We are moving towards this fullness of redemption. And I just want to encourage that God's plan for humans includes the responsibility of the Great Commission. 
When Jesus, you know, was ascended, he said, go and preach the gospel. Go and preach the gospel to all nations. And by nations, he's not talking about countries, he's talking about ethnicities. You're included in that. You know, and I think that these days it's so easy to preach the gospel to all nations, to share the witness of Jesus in our lives with our neighbor, with our friends at work. But God is calling us into his harvest. And that's really important. We've, God's calling us to where he's already moving. You're not stepping out on your own to go and try and have difficult conversations. When God's prompting my heart these days, it's for something that he's already doing. So my final story. I had this neighbor. Last year I moved into a new place in the city. And there's this young neighbor that lives next door to me. And I would hear about what was going on in their life. And I would hear them coming back from parties. And I was a bit concerned. And I would hear like different people say, you know, they were a bit concerned as well with some of the choices they were making in the life that they were living. And I was thinking, well, I'm just gonna pray for them and hopefully I'll strike up a conversation. Well, I've lived there for like a year and I hardly saw them. And I would see them coming back from the parties and I'd keep hearing things, but personally, I didn't run into them at all. And I remember thinking one time, this group came to uh, the city a couple of months ago called Carry the Love. They were doing like an evangelism worship night for young adults and they were gonna do a gospel presentation. I remember thinking, wouldn't it be cool if I could bring my neighbor? Like, wouldn't that be awesome? Like, just bring her to an opportunity to see other young adults and to be presented the gospel. Didn't see her. And I remember thinking, okay, I'm going for a prayer walk one day. I've got the dog, my friend's dog, and I'm walking this dog and I'm praying. And I was thinking to myself, no joke, is it weird to make cookies or make some kind of like bakery thing and just go knock on someone's door and be like, hey, I'm your neighbor. Like, I've seen it in movies. Like, is that weird in Australia? Or would, I was thinking about this and I was like, is this weird? Like, maybe I could make it kind of non-weird and be like, hey, I made too many and I thought I'd share it with you. Like, I was literally role-playing this in my mind, praying, when I turned a corner and bumped into this neighbor. And she was coming back from being in town and she had a skateboard. And I was like, oh my gosh, hi. And she's like, oh, sorry. And I was like, no, it's okay. I was like, you're my neighbor, aren't you? And she's like, yeah, I've seen you. And I was like, oh, I was like, how you been? And she's like, good. And I was like, do you skate? She's like, oh, I'm learning to. And I said, do you know, I skate. I said, well, I used to. I, I can teach you a few things if you want. We can go skating together. We had this conversation. I'm like, can I have your number? Like, I'm like, I'm just not going to wait for a second chance here. So I got her number. And I'm thinking, great, now I'm going to invite her to this thing. It's going to be awesome. Well, she ghosts me, hardcore, like full-on ghosting. If you don't know what that is, it's when people just don't reply to you. And if you do that, don't do that. Just say, hey, I'm not interested. It's a maturity thing. <laughs> That's my rant. <laughs> so I'm like... <laughs> I'm just like, hey, like, do you want to hang out? Do you want to hang out? And I'm like, my friends count, my friends come up the codes, my friends are like strong evangelists, and we're going skating, we're doing a prayer skate around the city. And I invited her. She totally ghosts me. I go knock on her door. She pretends she's not home. I'm like, okay, cool, whatever. Anyway, I get this text from her, hey, I've been really sick, can't come. All good. Comes up to where I'm just like, I'm gonna invite her to this event. I'm just gonna do it. I was trying to warm up the relationship, I'm just gonna invite her. So I go ahead and I say, hey, next Monday night, there's an event in the city, I'll pick you up, do you want to come? She writes back, yeah, okay, cool. And I'm like, really? Okay. Well, like, it's 5.30, all right? Yep. I'm like, all right, we'll see you then. <laughs> like, we'll see how we go. We get to like, I think, oh no, sorry, it was 7 o'clock, I was supposed to pick her up. It gets to 5.30, and I see her out my window jumping in the car with friends to go party. And my heart's just like, oh, really, are you serious? Anyway, I'm like, it's okay, it's all good. I've done my obedient part. I'm reaching out, I'm not responsible for any, the outcome. I get this text like two hours later. Can you come pick me up? Here's an address. I'm like, sure, okay. 
So I go to leave for this event and I swing, I get Summer, because I'm like, Summer, you're gonna come with me. We go to Lambton and she's at this party. <laughs> I pick her up from this party. She gets in the back of the car and I'm like, you all right? She's like, yeah. I'm like, you are you right to come to this thing? She's like, yeah, I, I just, we were gonna like either, um, yeah, I won't say because we're getting, we're recording right now. She was, they were about to do some things that are illegal. And she's like, and I decided, I remember your invitation. I was like, let's just go hang out and see what this thing is. I'm like, you made a good choice. <laughs> so we start driving and we get to the place and I'm like, so um, did you look at the link I sent you? She's like, yeah, and I'm like, you know, it's Christian, right? She's like, yeah, yeah, that's why I'm coming. I'm like, perfect. She's like, I just need some good influences. We get to the event, the events, all the seats are taken except for the seats right down the front. I'm like, oh my goodness, like, I don't know what to do here. We go, we're sitting right down the front. Now, I have no idea what's going to come, so I'm feeling very responsible. The message opens up, and they just bring their preach on. And it's like, they're preaching, they're preaching. And I'm like trying to side-eye and be like, is this weird? Like, is she okay? They do a response to the gospel, and she just puts her hands straight up. And she goes down the front, she gets a Bible, she encounters Jesus. The next day, she comes along, and she does the follow-up meeting with us, and she's someone we're still hanging out with and we're going to bring to young adults soon. But my whole point with that story is God was already moving in her life. I was just invited to come and be a part of that. Like I was even surprised that what I was doing was working. But that's what happens when you partner with God. He does the supernatural and you do your part. And so I want to encourage you that God's got a master redemptive plan. There's people around us in our communities that don't know of this option of life, life through Jesus. They don't know that someone cares about them, that loves them, that actually has answers for the conditions of their heart, that wants to set them free, that wants to give them confidence. And if you and I would just be a little open and a little like inviting of the Holy Spirit to come and to tap us on the shoulder and to interrupt us and bring us in, could you imagine what could happen? Could you imagine that perhaps you were going to be a part of someone's life and they will thank you for the treasure that they've now been given through Jesus. And that's what happens. That's actually what happens. We have been grateful for those who spoke to us. So let's not hold that to ourselves. Let's shine that out. I'm going to finish on this video. And this video is from the 24-7 Prayer House. It's a few years old now. But it's one that I think really depicts what would it look like? What would God's end game look like here on earth? What would it look like for a generation, and I would say generations, to really carry God's heart in their heart? How different will we look? How would we push back on culture with kingdom culture? And I think it would be so wildly attractive, to be honest. I think people fully alive in Christ, walking free, walking confident of his love, is wildly attractive. And I think that that's what we need to be confident in, in that we've got, a, we've got the hope of the world in our hearts. And when we go out and when we are living our life with Jesus, it shines. So this video is going to, it's called The Vision. It's a poetic spoken word that was birthed during a prayer time. So this is a 24-7 prayer house. And this came up and it got put on the walls of a warehouse and they've made this video. So let's watch it and we'll finish on this. So this guy comes up to me and says, 
What's the vision? What's the big idea? I open my mouth and words come out like this. The vision. The vision is Jesus. Obsessively, dangerously, undeniably, Jesus. The vision is an army of young people. You see bones, I see an army. And they are free from materialism. They laugh at nine to five little prisons. They could eat caviar on Monday and cross on Tuesday. They wouldn't even notice. They are mobile like the wind. They belong to the nations. They need no passport. People write their addresses in pencil and wonder at their strange existence. They are free, yet they are slaves of the hurting and dirty and dying. What's the vision? The vision is holiness that hurts the eyes. It makes children laugh at adults angry. It gave up the game of minimum integrity long ago to reach for the stars. It scorns the good and strains for the best. It is dangerously pure. Light flickers from every secret motive, every private conversation. It loves people away from their suicide leaps, their Satan games. This is an army that will lay down its life for the cause a million times a day. Its soldiers choose to lose that they might one day win the great well done of faithful sons and daughters. Such heroes are as radical on Monday morning as Sunday night. They do not need fame from names. Instead, they grin quietly upwards and hear the crowd chanting again and again, Come on! And this is the sound of the underground, the whisper of history the making. Our nation shaking, revolutionaries dreaming once again, mystery is scheming in whispers, conspiracy is breathing, this is the sound of the underground and the army is disciplined, young people who beat their bodies into submission, every soldier would take a bullet for his comrade at arms, the tattoo on their back boasts for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, sacrifice fuels the fire of victory in their upward eyes, winners. Martyrs, who can stop them? Can hogwarts hold them back? Can failure succeed? Can fear scare them or death kill them? And the generation prays like a dying man with groans beyond talking, with warrior cries, so full tears, and with great barrel loads of laughter, waiting, watching 24, 7, 3, 6, 5. Whatever it takes, they will give, breaking the rules, shaking mediocrity from its cozy little hide, laying down their rights and their precious little wrongs, laughing at labels, fasting essentials. The advertisers cannot mold them, Hollywood cannot hold them. Peer pressure is powerless to shake their resolve at late night parties before cuckoo cries. They are incredibly cool, dangerously attractive inside, and on the outside, they hardly care. They wear clothes like costumes to communicate and celebrate, but never to hide. Would they surrender their image or their popularity? They would lay down their very lives, swap seats with the man on death row, guilty as hell, a throne for an electric chair with blood and sweat and many tears with sleepless nights and fruitless days. They pray as if it all depends on God and live as if it all depends on them. Their DNA chooses Jesus. He breathed out and they breathed in. Their subconscious sings. They had a blood transfusion with Jesus. Their words make demons scream in shopping centers. Don't you hear them coming? Level the widows, summon the losers and the freaks. Here comes the frightened 
forgotten and the forgotten with fire in their eyes they walk tall and trees abroad skyscrapers bow mountains of the wolf by these children of another dimension their prayers summon the hounds of heaven and invoke the ancient dream of eden and this vision will be it will come to pass it will come easily and it will come soon how do i know on that like what is God's dream for humanity people who look like him people who carry his heart people who are learning and probably still figuring it out he's not looking for perfect he's looking for willing he's looking for people who will follow him and so I want to pray for us and I want to ask God and if you're open to this pray with me that God would be allowed to let his heart come alive in us in a fresh new way and just remind us of God's end game his redemptive plan and that Jesus is king and that this is our time. This is our time. Let's steward it well. So Holy Spirit, we just thank you so much that you've empowered us. You've empowered us with hope. You've empowered us with knowledge of the Holy One. You've empowered us with a presence that's never going to leave us. I want to pray for those who feel alone, God. Those who feel overwhelmed. Or those who just feel a little bit passive, Lord. Or just a little bit uh, discouraged, Jesus. I ask that you would just come alive in their heart in a fresh way. Lord, I pray that you would remind us what is your redemptive plan. Remind us, God, what is your end game. Give us a vision of Jesus, a vision of Jesus who is that treasure in the field, that we wouldn't make life about the field, but we'd make it concentrate on the treasure. And God, I ask, Father, that as we go about our day, as we go about our week, that, Lord, we would be interruptible by you. Lord, show us what's around us. Show us what's on your heart. Show us where you're moving, God. We, we groan and we yearn and we long for what you're doing here on earth, God. And we want to join and partner with your heart and your redemptive work. So, Lord, let us not limit you. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. What a great word that was. Let me say it's just a thank you. See, we can't hear a word like that and go out unchanged, can we? Well, we could, actually. It's your choice. Um, but uh, thank you, says That was so powerful, you know, that we've got an opportunity to partner and co-work with God in transforming this world. So, hey, that's it for our service. Uh, we're going to call it a wrap. Um, if you're here this morning and you'd like some prayer, we've got a prayer team that would love to pray with you. Maybe you uh, responded for prayer before, or maybe you didn't. Uh, you need a healing or encouragement or just uh, someone just to stand with you in your situation. We'd love to do that. God bless you. Have a great week. Don't forget, if you can do soup, we'd love you to go to the help desk. Put your name down. This makes it easier for our team to work it all out. God bless. Thanks.